Can I begin by wishing you all a happy new year? I know you probably did all that last week, but it's my first week back, and it's lovely to see the place full and lots of familiar faces. Our call to worship is some words from Psalm 29. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in holy splendor. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. And now let's come to God in prayer. Let's pray together. Loving God, on this new day, it's our privilege to meet together in the name of Jesus, to offer you our worship, to bring you our confessions, to listen for your voice, and to pray for the needs of the world. So we begin by acknowledging what you are, the source of all life, the inspirer of all ideas the wisdom of all knowledge, the composer of all music, the inventor of all creation. But more than what you are, we thank you for who you are. The parent who loves and delights in us, the friend who travels with us in good times and bad the sibling who shares in our family life, the shepherd who leads and protects us, the saviour who sacrifices all for us. Inspired by the wonder of your love for us, amazed at all you continually do for us, we offer you ourselves, just as we are. However we feel, whatever kind of week we've had, knowing that you will accept us, that you will forgive our faults and failings, wipe away our tears and tend our wounds, that you will delight in our successes and discoveries, laugh with our laughter and join in with our dancing. Loving God, Our words are never enough to express our prayers. You are too wonderful for us to imagine and too mysterious for us to understand. But we offer you our love, our thanks, our sorrow and our hope, trusting that you will accept them, for we offer them in the name of Jesus. Amen. The first reading is from Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 to 9. Both readings, I'm reading from the NIV. Here is my servant 
whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his law the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says. He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread them, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare before they spring into being. I announce them to you. And the next reading is from Matthew. It's chapter 3, verses 13 to 17, entitled The Baptism of Jesus. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Well done, David. That was a a challenge well executed. No, there's nothing to apologise. It's actually really rather lovely, I think, to just see Father and Son together, actually somehow illustrating some of the reading from Matthew, isn't it? This is my Son, my one in whom I delight. And that was kind of illustrated beautifully by David and Max there. The beginning of a new year. Lots of people make resolutions, plans and dreams. This is going to be the year, we say, that we will finally shed those extra pounds. Keep up the exercise programme. Read the entire Bible front to back. Learn a new skill or whatever else it might be. And then, of course, within about two weeks or three if you're doing really well, real life overtakes us, the resolutions are abandoned and the hopes and dreams probably remain just that. This year, 2014 or 2014, however you're supposed to say it, I'm never quite sure, it's going to be an exciting one and a demanding one at whatever level we might like to think about. As a nation, we have a unique opportunity to determine the shape of our future governance. As a city, 
we have the Commonwealth Games on our doorstep. As a church, we will be making some decisions at some stage about the future of our building. And as families and individuals, there will be all sorts of choices and to make and challenges to face. So I'm quite convinced that what we do not need this morning is more resolutions, more goals to aim for, more things to put on our to-do lists. Instead, we need some encouragement, some support and strength for facing the challenges we've already got the commitments we already have. That's partly why I decided that we would write little blessings for each other to start off with. The overarching title for this week and next is Call and Response, focusing first on the very early days of Jesus' ministry and then next week to looking at the disciples. Through these stories, read in conjunctions with part of Isaiah's servant songs, We listen for God's voice calling to us. And as we begin to consider what our response might be, again I want to say this is not about new challenges or new commitments, but perhaps about a renewed vision, some new hope, or some new strength for the challenges and commitments we already have. For Baptists, perhaps more than any other Christian tradition, baptism is hugely significant. Our emphasis on it being something that people choose for themselves as a lived response to the call of God on their lives to follow Jesus stands in huge contrasts to the understandings of those traditions that baptise infants. Now, whilst the theological debates down through the ages have not always been very edifying, and whilst each viewpoint is just about defensible biblically, I am fairly obviously convinced our Baptist understanding is closer to that which would have been held at the time that Jesus went to be baptised by John. We don't hear anything about John baptising people who were not able to understand what he was saying to them. doesn't mean he didn't, but we don't hear anything about it. Now, I know that you all know, because I've said it lots of times, and you'll have heard it elsewhere if not from me, baptise in Greek is just an ordinary word that means to immerse or dunk in a liquid, and which also can be used to describe the act of dyeing fabric. Baptism as a ritualised expression of cleansing or purity or a voluntary self-identification with an ideology or religious movement dates back to ancient times. It was certainly practised in ancient Egypt. And Jewish proselyte baptism was widely known in Jesus' own time. Even to this day, there are religions other than Christianity that practise baptism or very similar rites as part of initiation or reception into the faith community. The fact that the Gospels tell us that Jesus was baptised by John is hugely significant. And perhaps there's a risk that we've heard it so many times that we just don't hear that anymore. In coming to John for baptism, Jesus responds to a call to commit himself to the ideology that John is proclaiming the newly emergent kingdom of God. 
So Jesus is not a man pursuing his own agenda, seeking to establish a new religion or a revolutionary movement, but he is one who submits to the call of God, the authority of God, and undertakes to serve the divine purpose. In coming to John for baptism, Jesus also chooses to identify with humanity in all its limitations and its tendency towards selfishness and sin. This is not a God who walks on earth free from its taint or its trials, but one who chooses and accepts human frailty. He felt the way we feel. He got hungry, he got tired, and so on and so forth. The descent of the dove and the voice from heaven mark this event out as different from any other baptism before or since and create for us a sense of awe and mystery. But even so, today, what we're thinking about is the freely made decision of Jesus to accept the call on his life to serve the kingdom of God and the response that began with this significant symbolic moment. This is generally taken as a point which marks the start of Jesus' ministry. Now, there's nothing there that you don't already know. And it seems quite likely that you will have all heard lots of sermons on this story leading up to a call to baptism or church membership. Indeed, I've done it myself. These calls have been heard, they've been considered, they've been accepted or rejected or ignored. And the outworking of those decisions, those responses, continues. But as I've said already, today I'm not going to issue new calls. I'm not going to talk about baptism. I'm not going to talk about church membership, other than to say that I'm not going to talk about them. Rather, we're going to look at part of Isaiah 42, one of the servant songs, understood by Christians to refer to Jesus, and help us to think, in order to help us to think a little bit more about how, once the call to serve God has been accepted, the response gets worked out, and perhaps especially how God is part of that. As we explore these words that are generally taken to refer to Jesus, do we dare to put ourselves in the role of the servant and hear the words spoken to us, the promises offered to us? I'm going to do something that I don't do very often. I'm basically going to do a line-by-line exposition of uh, that passage from Isaiah 42. But as I do so, I invite you to try and put yourself in the place of the servant who is spoken of and addressed in this. Matthew's account of the words spoken from heaven at the baptism of Jesus clearly echo the opening words of Isaiah 42. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. These are very powerful words as well as beautiful words. This is no remote, unfeeling deity, but one intimately involved in selecting, endorsing, sustaining and encouraging the servant whose life and works begins, brings pleasure. 
This is the kind of relationship that Jesus has with God. Nothing like a typical master-servant relationship. And this is the relationship that we are offered, the promise given to us. You are my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. Hear that. That's God's word for you today. And then we have the call or commission for the service servant. I've put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And again, we can spot a, a connection to Matthew's reference to the dove. But we're taken beyond that to the global or universal nature of the call. This is a call to bring forth justice to the nations, to all peoples and all places. So this is not just a local thing, but a global thing. What comes next, though, might surprise us, especially when we think about what we know of John the Baptist and his preaching style, which was pretty loud and pretty aggressive and, frankly, quite scary. God's chosen beloved servant will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. The defining characteristics of this servant are gentleness and encouragement. This is no street corner hellfire preacher nor is it somebody whose life is spent in loud public protest. The servant exercises the quiet, gentle ministry of noticing who it is who's struggling, who is bruised or battered, whose faith might be the merest flicker. I find that very challenging because it is so far away from so much that we think of um, about ministry. There are lots of business models of ministry floating about. But here we have something very different, a ministry of gentleness and encouragement, of coming alongside and walking with. It's even a long way from some forms of the social, social justice that is very prevalent in our day. It seems to me it's far easier to be what the beloved servant of God is not than to cultivate the characteristics described here. Gentle, encouraging, not breaking the bruised, not quenching the flickering. But yet, lest we fall into a trap of gentle Jesus, meek and mild, impotent in the face of evil, we are reminded again of the purpose of the servant's work. He will faithfully bring forth justice. The word justice is actually used four times in the passage we heard from Isaiah, which shows just what a significant theme it must be. We might imagine that the primary task of Jesus is to bring about repentance or to mediate salvation, but neither of those is mentioned here. In this servant song, we have the gentle, reed-supporting, wick-tending servant who is concerned with justice. 
Now, I think there's a bit of a problem with the word justice as it's used in our culture and actually as it's used very much in churches. Because the word justice becomes inextricably linked with crime and punishment. Justice is about people getting their just desserts, being punished for what they do that's wrong. Justice is about us or me getting compensation for what happened to us. Actually, that's not what is being referred to here at all. Justice understood biblically is about righteousness, honesty, integrity, impartiality, fairness. About all people being equally valued. About a very different set of societal norms in which, presumably, the defining quality is the delightedness it engenders within the Godhead. Now, there's a challenge, isn't there? Justice, a just society, as something that makes God glad, happy, brings a smile to God's face. A pipe dream? An impossible task? Well, humanly speaking, perhaps, but it's clearly what the writer is anticipated because he says this of the servant... He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his teaching. I can remember preaching on this passage several years ago, not here, at a time when I was feeling pretty discouraged and disheartened about the ministry I was exercising. It seemed like a lot of hard work and frankly not much satisfaction. And as I read these words, as it happens in the NIV, which David used for us um, today, it said it like this, he will not falter or be discouraged. And in that moment, I understood those words not as a statement of fact, that the servant is incapable of being undermined by such feelings, by the apparent lack of progress or success but rather that the servant refuses to be discouraged. The gentle, caring nature doesn't mean the servant is a doormat or a wimp. On the contrary, the dogged determination to continue the cause against all odds is what enables the call to find expression. I think there's a word for it which I probably shouldn't use in church, but it's a certain kind of mindedness that begins with B and ends in Y. A sort of refusal. I'm just not going to be put off. I'm not going to give up. No matter how tough it is, I'm going to keep on at this. Stubbornness, maybe, that kind of thing. Holy stubbornness. So we've got a servant called and chosen by God and entrusted with a very specific ministry and mission to bring justice for all. A servant who has, or at least aspires to, the characteristics of gentle determination. And as we move on into the second part of the Isaiah reading, after a reminder of the creativity and power of God, we find the most beautiful and profound promise. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. Never read Isaiah 42 in the Good News Bible. They completely foul up that little bit. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. 
I have taken you by the hand and kept you. God doesn't just issue a call to action and stand back. God is there in the thick of it, holding their hand and offering protection. No matter how hard it gets, no matter how deep the disappointments, no matter even if it seems as if God is sleeping or maybe gone away, God's promise is to be there, taking the servant's hand and offering protection. I wonder what image comes into your mind when you hear that promise of a hand taking yours. Is it the strong, safe hand of a protective father or mother? Is it the wrinkled hand of a much-loved grandparent? Is it a careworn hand? Is it the yearned-for hand of a lover? Is it the helping hand of a friend or a companion? Or is it something else altogether? Because in each of these guises and in more, God reaches out to us, takes us by the hand to lead us, to steady us, to hold us back from danger, to express love to us. The call of God on our lives is a tough one. And humanly speaking, of course we get tired, of course we get weary or disillusioned or disappointment, disappointed or wonder what on earth God is up to. But God is here with us and holds our hands. That's some promise. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, and from the prison those who sit in darkness. This call recurs in the book of Isaiah and is claimed by Christ for his own at the beginning of his ministry. But it's also a call given to us. It is in our frailty and finitude that God calls us to bring in the kingdom of Shalom. It is us, with our failings and faults, who are chosen to continue the work of Christ. It is us, just as we are, to whom that promise is given. I have taken, and I will continue to take, you by the hand and keep you safe. See. The former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. In these final words, we're reminded of God's past faithfulness, and our call to service is renewed. For God has still got more good news to bring through our lives and our witness. Jesus, the man baptized by John, identified himself with us in all our human limitation. Jesus, the man baptized by John, responded to the call of God on his life to be the gentle, determined, justice-bringing, liberating servant spoken of in Isaiah. God has called and does call 
each of us, individually and collectively, to continue that work of service as the body of Christ in this place. God has promised to be with us individually and collectively to encourage, protect and guide us. At the start of this new year, with all it will bring, with its potential for joy and sorrow, success and disappointment, we don't need new challenges. What we need is encouragement for those that continue. So let's be encouraged. Let's be reassured that the God who calls us delights in us and holds our hands every step of the way. Amen. We bring our prayers for others. Let's pray together. Loving God, your call comes to us in different ways and at different times. But to each one of us, it inevitably comes. The call to faith, repentance and commitment. To sacrifice our time, money and energy. To explore new forms of service and positions of responsibility. To take up our cross and follow Jesus. You call us to things we enjoy and things that are demanding, to responsibilities that are a pleasure and to work that is hard, to tasks that ask little from us and to love that is costly. You call us when your will is clear and when it is hard to fathom. Through special moments when your word comes directly and through more mundane times when it comes to us through the ordinary circumstances of life. You call us to be your hands and your feet, continuing the ministry of Jesus. You ask us through our caring and sharing, our loving and listening, our accepting and understanding to bring hope, healing, strength and encouragement to a broken and hurting world. Loving God, we bring to you our world of so much pain, so much need and sorrow, a world you care for so deeply that you willingly gave your all for it living and dying among us through your Son, Jesus Christ. We bring to you the causes of so much suffering, the ongoing war in Syria, the conflicts which are coming to light in South Sudan and the Central African Republic. We pray for all who pay the price of war, the poor and the hungry, the homeless and dispossessed, victims of violence, crime and cruelty, those whose way of life has been overturned, their livelihood shattered, their country destroyed, their loved ones killed or injured. 
May they find shelter and security in the countries which offer them refuge. And we pray for leaders and peacemakers that a solution will be found that will allow these nations to live together in peace. We pray for those in our own country who have been victims of flooding in recent weeks, affecting homes and businesses and communities. We thank you for all who have rallied round to help in practical ways, and we pray for the government as it seeks to address and respond to this increasing problem. As we consider your call, we think of those who have responded in serving through ministry and mission, often turning their back on rewarding careers and leaving family, friends and all that is familiar to share the good news both at home and overseas. May they find fulfilment in service and a sense of your pleasure as they respond to your call. Finally, righteous God, we have just been singing about your desire for a fairer world, and so we pray for all who work to promote justice in our society, our country, and our world. Support them in all that they do, and inspire us to pursue such goals in turn. Lord of all, hear our prayer, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And so may the God who delights to call us into service, and who journeys with us every step of the way, continue to inspire us, Guide us and protect us this day and every day. Mm-hmm.